Uh, hello, everyone. Um, good to be with you. Um, and uh, good to open God's Word with you. Good to be here uh, in time. We, uh, we were late. That was my fault. So my apologies for causing Martin a panic. Like, where's the preacher? Because if the preacher doesn't turn up, he knows he's only got one option. And that is to ask John Taylor to come and preach. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be a blessing to everyone, John. Um, so if you'd like to turn to John chapter 15, please. Um, we're going to look at the first 17 verses. And uh, unusually, um, I usually have to think of a title for a sermon afterwards. So I usually get a text around Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday, if he's really patient, from Andrew, who is needing to put the sermon up on the website, and so he needs a title for it and some tags. So the title is, I don't know, I have to think of a title then. I think, oh, what, you know, what was that about? And, and usually I can't remember. Um, so the title is Why You Are Here. And if Andrew's listening, the tags are <laughs> uh, mission and discipleship and evangelism. Why you are here. So, John 15, 1 to 17. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean or pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you 
This is my command, love each other. And may God help us to understand his word and live it. So in this passage, uh, Jesus is talking about um, the relationship between his father and himself and you and me and all his people. Um, it's in that part of John's Gospel, 14 through 17, where Jesus is it's sometimes called a sort of final discourse. Um, and it's, it's where Jesus is preparing his disciples for the time when he's not going to be there anymore uh, with them physically. And so he's teaching them what to expect. Uh, and as this goes on, we get you know, the preparation for persecution, that kind of thing. But he's also telling them why they're here. Um, and he's telling us why we're here. Uh, now, let's take the passage um, just as it comes, and we'll land uh, at verse, particularly verse 16, um, because why we're here is to bear fruit. So Jesus begins by saying, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener, or the vine dresser. Um, so when I, I read a, um, a statement like that, I am the true vine, I've got a question going in my head immediately. And I'd, um, you may be able to guess it, it may be your question also. So let me ask you, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, what's the, what's the question that might crop up in your minds? Good, excellent. So <laughs> just keep pummeling the Bible with questions. Right? That is the best thing to do, just keep asking questions of the text. If you come along on a Tuesday, or if you, any of the BSF things, that's exactly what you, you'll have done doing your homework and preparing for it. Um, I think the way that BSF handle a passage is brilliant, um, and you're not really supposed to contribute to the discussion unless you take the time to do the homework first and check it out and read it. I mean, if, if you say something, you won't get slapped down, I'm sure, but you know, you'll get loved to bits. But really, you ask, the, you ask the passage questions. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. The question is, well, what's a false vine? What, what does it mean to be a true vine? Why didn't you just say, I'm a vine, which itself would sound odd in many circumstances nowadays, but why, why true vine? So this gives us an understanding of what the whole passage is about. So we need to go back to, we could choose several, but particularly Isaiah chapter 5. So if you've got a, a Bible uh, and it's switched on or open, um, then turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, the vine and um, the whole fruit-bearing thing is an Old Testament picture for God's people and for how much he loved them and how much he looked for from them. So Isaiah chapter 5. Let me sing for my beloved. So this is like a song from God. Here is God singing about his people in the Old Testament. Let me sing for my beloved, my, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. So, mm, vines, choice vines are just... Mm. So if you go to the Barossa Valley, uh, back of Adelaide in Australia, you'll find the world's best, well, in Australia they call it Shiraz, um, the, the Barossa Valley was, was, was planted and, and, and just 
opened up and cultivated by Lutherans back in the 1800s, which, which kind of makes you want to explore Lutheranism a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, they were so enlightened. And back in the 50s, all the French Syrah, um, so in France it's the Syrah grape, in um, Australia it's known as Shiraz, um, uh, the Syrah grape was hit in the 1950s by a fungus, which effectively wiped it out. So French Syrah is from relatively new vines, so don't bother buying it. Um, so, whereas in Australia, these vines are old and produce the most wonderful Shiraz. Um, so they're just the best. And it's as if God is saying, I planted my people as a, vi- as, as a vine, and I, I chose, made that place that just of the very best vines. It was choice. They're the best in my eyes. So he dug it and cleared it of stones, this hillside, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes. For it yielded wild grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes... Why did it yield wild grapes, little bitter little things? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. This is Israel, or Judah getting swept into and occupied, and Jerusalem eventually falling. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice. But behold, bloodshed. For righteousness. But behold, an outcry. So God's Old Testament people are the vine, this choice vine planted. God prepared the ground. He prepared the land. He placed them in it. They weren't there by accident, by natural growth. He placed them in it. And he looked for justice and righteousness. And instead he found bloodshed and an outcry. What he was looking for was a a reflection back of himself. His justice. His righteousness. Now, just as with other figures in Isaiah, like the servant that described the people, it's a picture of where they went wrong. And another picture that we get in Isaiah and in the Psalms particularly is is of a shepherd, a king over these people who got it wrong. And then along comes Jesus and says, I am the true vine. He is the true Israel. He is everything that the people of God were meant to be, just as he's the true servant of God and the good shepherd. He is everything that they were meant to be and failed to be, miserably failed to be. So he's, he's one of us. He's a representative of humanity planted by God that got it wrong, sin abounded, 
injustice, unrighteousness, anything but the image of God. And along comes Jesus and says, everything that, that Israel was supposed to be, I am. Everything that God looked for from Israel, he finds when he looks at me. And so he's opening up a new future because he's saying, in me, everything that God looks for, you'll find. If you're in me, then you're, you're in the one who is the true vine. You're under the one who is the good shepherd. You're part of this new community of God's servants. So as he fulfills everything that Israel was supposed to be, so he also fulfills everything that all the people of God will ever be. So you and I are right with God in Christ. You and I really serve God in Christ. You and I are really under God's authority and rule and gracious, generous sovereignty when we're in Christ. You and I are fruitful in Christ. So you, you see now why he's saying, if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. He's speaking to people who were mostly from that Jewish background. So he's saying, no, no, don't abide in the fact that you're Jewish. Don't abide in your Judaism. Abide in me. And he's saying to, to, to any of, of, of his people now, look, don't, don't abide. You know, what you're, you're, the place from which your fruitfulness comes isn't really in your church connection. It isn't really in what particular kind of Christian evangelical tribe you belong to. It certainly isn't in your own effort, your own natural skill set, your own gifting, and your, your own sort of family background or educational background. It's not in anyone or anything other than Jesus. So if we are to uh, yield what God looks for from us, then the first thing that this whole passage is about is abiding in Christ. So we are in him and he, are, and he is in us. If you think it's a bit weird to be in Christ and Christ is in us, then just, it's not really weird. Think of, of you know, you're, you're, you're by the sea, you're paddling away with your kids or something like that, and or you, you remember, maybe remember it yourself. And you took a bucket and you plunged the bucket in the sea. Maybe you've got to rinse the sand off your kids' feet before they get back into the car or something. And, um, and you, <laughs> awkwardly, you've still got to make it back to the car from the seashore, but hey, never mind. Um, you're just going to carry them back from then on, aren't you? And make life really difficult for yourself. All for the sake of a clean car. Was it worth it? Um, so you plunge the bucket into the, into the sea. Where's the bucket? In the sea. Excellent. You're awake now. Well, this half is. <laughs> where is the sea? Wrong. This side. In the, where is the bucket? It's, and where is the sea? Now you're all awake. Good. So, she's saying, look. It's that complete immersion in me, that total connectedness, and I, am, I will completely fill you. And then you'll be fruitful. 
And so, Jesus is couching the whole of what we call discipleship in terms of bearing fruit. And that's how we show that we are Jesus' disciples. That's how we show that we are following him. We're obeying his commands. We're imitating the way he does stuff. So we're not just learning some propositions from him. We're actually mimicking him and learning to walk the way he walked, learning to relate to people the way he related to people. And, and so we're beginning to learn what fruit-bearing looks like, but we're not just learning what it looks like. Because we're in Christ, then all the life of God is flowing to us. So as Jesus um, you know, opens up this whole picture, the Father is the vine dresser, the gardener, Except vine dresser is better because it's really, really skilled and very precise. And Jesus is the vine, so all the life is coming up, all the nourishment, all the sap, everything, the, the water, it's all, it's all coming out to you and me and where the branches. We're the bits sticking out into the world. And we're the ones who carry the fruit. And as Jesus is going on, he, he, he makes this remarkable statement that I want us to sort of major on for the closing few hours of, in verse 16. Um, so we know that we are in Christ and he is in us. We're part of the vine. All the life and all the capacity for bearing fruit and everything is coming from him. Where the branches that stick out into the world, so to speak, and bear the fruit that God is looking for. And we know that if we're in Christ, we'll bear much fruit. That's God's will for us. We know that outside of Christ, we're never going to bear any fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we know that it's all to the Father's glory that we do this. And then he says this, this amazing thing in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, or as you go, bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Let's take that bit first. When Jesus is speaking here, and he's, in fact this whole section of John's Gospel, he's doing something which um, for us ought to mean more than just understanding a biblical picture like vine and, and fruit. Here and elsewhere in, in John's Gospel, we have the same thing in Luke and in Matthew particularly. Jesus is saying, look, from now on, your whole life is going to be framed in a particular way. You will have a reason for being alive. I don't just mean a motivation for doing stuff. I mean, you will be able to understand why you are still alive. It is not an automatic process that you stay alive. There is a reason why God wakens you and gets you up in the morning and gives you breath. And that reason here is so that we bear fruit. That reason is, is, is given another dimension to it in, in, in the, the Great Commission. That as we go, we make disciples. So that's why I title the sermon, Why You Are Here. 
When Jesus in verse 16, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. He is telling anybody who is his disciple and everybody who's doing it together, he's saying, this is why there is a today and you're alive in it. This is why you're not in heaven. This is why you're down here. You're not here just to earn some more money and head towards a nice retirement and then pop it. You're not here to carve out a nice little place for yourself and build a nest and reproduce so as another generation and then that's it. All those things do them great but that's not really why you're here. And if you live as if that's why you're here you're going to be one of those people who somewhere in their mid to late 50s wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning and says is this it? Really? Is, is the, the, the cars and the holidays and the house, is, is this it? Is this all I was here for? Jesus is saying, this is why you're here. You are here to bear fruit. Now, why is there a gravity about verse 16 in this image of, of that kind of nature? First of all, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, hands up if you think the Christian doctrine of election and predestination is a doddle. Right? Okay. Good, someone's got their hands up. Because it's complicated, isn't it? And we naturally sort of think to ourselves, hang on a minute, I chose Jesus. And we also think to ourselves, I don't actually like the idea of him choosing me and not somebody else. That's not fair. And then we've got this gut reaction to the doctrine of election or choice, God's choice, because we think it's not fair. And at that point, we've lost all reason and we've gone dumb. Because fair is that nobody gets saved. That would be fair. The reality is that our sinfulness, our choices, our rebellion, our natural disposition to turn away from God and go our own way means that the fair thing is that nobody's saved. That's fair. See, what we think is fair is by hook or by crook something that suits us. But we are not God. God is God. It is not fair. If you want to talk about fair, it is not fair that Jesus Christ hung on a cross, the perfect spotless Son of God, and carried your sin. And mine. Fair has nothing to do with mercy and grace. Nothing. It's not even a category that comes remotely near assessing God, who has done that for sinners. But the other thing about it is, well, you know, didn't I choose God? Well, hang on a minute. So say somebody's preaching the gospel and there are two people sitting there and, one, and, and you're one of them and somebody's sitting there and you become a Christian and the other person doesn't. You've all, both heard exactly the same thing. What's that about? Were you just like morally more superior to the other person? Oh, I'm a Christian because I'm better than the person sitting next to me. You didn't become a Christian. Really? Okay, I'm not morally better. 
So what, you're like my more intellectually able? You're just cleverer. So you got it. So I'm right with God and my eternity is secure because I'm cleverer than the guy next to me. Really? You see, if it isn't God's choice, if it really is yours, then you're going to heaven because you're good enough. Because you are clever enough or morally right enough to make the right choice. Now, we do make a decision. I made a decision on Wednesday the 13th of June, 1973. But before I ever went forward at that Arthur Blessed crusade in Bradford City Football Ground, before I ever vaulted over the barrier in front of me and discovered that the walkway was a little further down than I was really. <laughs> so I, I did actually have a, a bad ankle as I went. I limped forward to the front. God had already been working in me. He'd already been working. So he chose you. But he also did something else. He appointed you. What does that mean? It means, it means he put you where you are. He, he placed you. App point. To the point. To the place. To that point. So the question is, where has God put you? Now, I want you, I want you actually to, to think about the answer to that question for yourself. Where did God, where has God put you? So think of the places, if you will, for a moment. Just in your mind, you know, imagine the places that God has put you. Home. Work, if you're at work. Sometimes he puts you in Tesco or Sainsbury's or Aldi or Little or wherever. He seems quite regularly to put you on that bus and you tending to see the same people now. He's put you with those folk that you work with. You got the pictures? God put you there. Of course, you did some things that end up, you know, you being there each day. You, you got that job. You go to that supermarket. You spend time with those people. You catch that bus or train. But it's God who put you there. And he didn't put you there by accident. He put you there for you to bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Much fruit, he says in verse 5. Why are you here? I don't just mean why you were alive. But why are you where you are? Tomorrow, when you've forgotten the sermon, it'll still be true. You are there for a reason. Not just to get through the day, not just to stay awake at about two o'clock in the afternoon when you're staring in monitor and you realize actually you were staring at it with your eyes closed. You're there 
to bear fruit, much fruit. So the fruit that Israel wasn't bearing was identified by God in Isaiah as justice and righteousness. Which means doing the right thing. You're there to make sure that the right thing happens in terms of the way people talk, the way people relate to one another, the things people say about one another, the quality of the work that is done and its conscientiousness, the neighborliness and friendliness that goes on in the place. You're there to do right by God, to do right by his commands, and to do right by the people around you, to bear fruit. Some of that fruit will be evangelistic, in the normal sense of the word. You'll share the content of the gospel. Some of that fruit will be in terms of how you shape the culture that's, got, that's around you. Some of that fruit will have to do with um, how you improve what's going on in, say, your workplace. Uh, on on Equip, we've um, just been reading, or you've just been reading Fruitfulness on the Frontline by Mark Green, in which he identifies six different ways of bearing fruit in this world. So tomorrow when you get up, and you're thinking, well, what's going on today? And you trot through the routine, or something special's happening, or whatever. And you're wondering, why am I doing this? Well, there's an answer. God says you're doing this because I want you to go there and I want you to bear fruit for me. Now, here's the gobsmacking thing. Jesus says that in this fruit-bearing thing, you can ask anything of the Father. Whatever you ask. He's already said in verse 7, whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, the Father will give you. So you've been thinking for ages, could I ask this person to Alpha? So it's too late, you've missed the first one, but anyway, tomorrow you'll be okay for uh, the second one. And you think, this person's the last person on the planet, I'm too scared. You can ask anything in Jesus' name of the Father, and he will do it for you, so that you can bear fruit there. Someone in your workplace really gets up your nose. Maybe it's their language, maybe it's their attitude, maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe they're just from Yorkshire or something like that, and there's a kind of congenital failing. Um, You can ask that God gives you a different heart towards that person. Maybe it is that you are just terrified of saying anything about being a Christian. You can ask for courage. Maybe you don't want to be one of those Christians who mangles every normal conversation into some kind of witnessing opportunity. So you can pray that the Father will actually ask or get somebody to ask you a question which you know you can't answer in any way other than pointing to Jesus. You can ask anything absolutely anything in Jesus' name. As far as your fruit bearing is concerned, this is not a verse which you take past a car showroom, for instance, uh, or the ASPC website, as I mentioned yesterday. Um, You can ask anything in Jesus' name, and it will happen.
Sooner or later, it'll happen. That's why you're here. You don't ever need to worry about that question again. You never need, if you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and ask, why am I here? You never need to worry about the answer. You can go back to sleep, sleep like a child. Because you know the answer. Not because somebody preached a sermon on it one day at Hillview, but because Jesus tells you why you're here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send us out into this world with such a clear sense of purpose. We pray that your purpose for us, that we would bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that will last. We pray, Heavenly Father, that it will come to fruition and it will guide our choices. And we pray that you're a wonderful, astonishing promise, Lord Jesus, that we can ask anything in your name of the Father. We pray that that will motivate us. We pray it will spur us. We pray that we won't forget that. And we pray we'll enjoy the incredible privilege that that promise gives. Help us, we pray, to your glory, Heavenly Father, to bear fruit today and tomorrow, wherever you place us. In Jesus' name, amen.